Chapter Eighteen, Part Two of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Eighteen, Part Two. Berendale is the son of my mother's sister by a merchant in the neighborhood of the Change who hurt the family pride so much by marrying a tradesman that I am the only one of the clan who has noticed her since. He ran away about four years ago with the only child of a rich West Indian from a boarding school. The consequence was that her father renounced her, but when three years ago she died in giving birth to a son, the unhappy parent repented to his displeasure and offered to allow Berendale, who from the bankruptcy and sudden death of both his parents had been left destitute, an annuity of three hundred pounds, for life provided he would send the child over to Jamaica and allow him to have all the care of his education. To this Berendale consented. Reluctantly, I hope, said Adeline, and merely out of pity for the feelings of the childless father. I hope so too, continued Glenmurray, for I do not think the chance of inheriting all his grandfather's property a sufficient reason to lead him to give up another, and in a foreign land too, the society and education of his child. But whatever were his reasons, Berendale acceded to the request, and the infant was sent to Jamaica, and ever since the three hundred pounds has been regularly remitted to him. Besides that, he has recovered two thousand and odd hundred pounds from the wreck of his father's property, and with economy, and had he a good wife to manage his affairs for him, Berendale might live very comfortably. My dear Glen Murray, cried Adeline impatiently, what is this to me, and why do you weary yourself? to tell me particular so little interesting to me. Glenmurray bade her have patience and continued thus. And now, Adeline, here his voice evidently faltered, I must open my whole heart to you, and confess that the idea of leaving you friendless, unprotected and poor, your reputation injured, and your peace of mind destroyed, is more than I am able to bear, and will give me, in my last moments, the torments of the damned. Here a violent burst of tears interrupted him and Adeline, overcome with emotion and surprise at the sight of the agitation which his own sufferings could never occasion in him, hung over him in speechless woe. Besides, continued Glenmurray, recovering himself a little, I—oh, Adeline, seizing her cold hand, can you forgive me for having been the means of blasting all your fair fame and prospects in life? For the sake of justice, if not mercy, exclaimed Adeline, forbear thus cruelly to accuse yourself you know that from my own free unbiased choice i gave myself to you and in compliance with my own principles but who taught you those principles who led you to a train of reasoning so alluring in theory so pernicious in practice had i not with the heedless vanity of youth given to the world the crude conceptions of four and twenty you might at this moment have been the idol of a respectable society, and I, equally respected, have been the husband of your heart, while happiness would perhaps have kept that fatal disease at bay, of which anxiety has facilitated the approach. He was going on, but Adeline, who had till now struggled successfully with her feelings, wound up almost to frenzy at the possibility that anxiety had shortened Glenmurray's life, gave way to a violent paroxysm of sorrow which for a while deprived her of consciousness, and when she recovered she found Berendale bending over her while her head lay on Glenmurray's pillow. 
the sight of berrendale in a moment roused her to exertion his look was so full of anxious tenderness and she was at that moment so ill disposed to regard it with complacency that she eagerly declared she was quite recovered and begged mr berrendale would return to bed and glenmurray seconding her request with a deep sigh he departed poor fellow said glenmurray i wish you had seen his anxiety during your illness i am glad i did not replied adeline but how can you persist in talking to me of any other person's anxiety when i am tortured with yours your conversation of to-night has made me even more miserable than i was before by what strange fatality do you blame yourself for conduct worthy of admiration for giving to the world as soon as produced opinions which were calculated to enlighten it but replied glenmurray as those opinions militated against the experience and custom of ages ought i not to have paused before i published and kept them back till they received those sanction of my maturer judgment and does your maturer judgment condemn them four years cannot have added much to the maturity of my judgment replied glenmurray but i will own that some of my opinions are changed and that though i believe those which are unchanged are right in theory i think as the mass of society could never at once adopt them they had better remain unacted upon than that a few lonely individuals should expose themselves to certain distress by making them the rules of their conduct you for instance you my adeline what misery here his voice again faltered and emotions impeded his utterance live do but live exclaimed adeline passionately and i can know of misery but the name but i cannot live i cannot live replied glenmurray and the sooner i die the better for thus to waste your youth and health in the dreadful solitude of a sick room is insupportable to me oh glenmurray replied adeline fondly throwing herself on his neck could you but live free from any violent pain and were neither you nor i ever to leave this room again believe me i should not have a wish beyond it to see you to hear you to prove to you how much i love you would indeed it would be happiness sufficient for me after this burst of true and heartfelt tenderness there was a pause of some moments glenmurray felt too much to speak and adeline was sobbing on his pillow at length she pathetically again exclaimed live only live and i am blessed but i cannot live i cannot live again replied glenmurray and when i die what will become of you i care not cried adeline if i lose you may the same grave receive us but it will not my dearest girl grief does not kill and entailed as my estate is i have nothing to leave you and though richly qualified to undertake the care of children in order to maintain yourself your unfortunate connection and singular opinions will be an eternal bar to your being so employed o oh, adeline these cutting fears these dreadful reflections are indeed the bitterness of death but there is one way of alleviating my pangs name it replied adeline with quickness but you must promise then to hear me with patience had i been able to live through my illness i should have conjured you to let me endeavor to restore you to your place in society and consequently to your usefulness by making you my wife and young and i may add innocent and virtuous as you are i doubt not but the world would at length have received you into its favor again but you must you will 
you shall live interrupted adeline and i shall be your happy wife not mine replied glenmurray laying his emphasis on the last word adeline started and fixing her eyes wildly on his demanded what he meant i mean replied he to prevail on you to make my last moments happy by promising some time hence to give yourself a tender a respectable and a legal protector oh glenmurray exclaimed adeline and can you insult my tenderness for you with such a proposal if i can even survive you do you think that i can bear to give you a successor in my affection or how can you bear to imagine that i shall because my love to you is without selfishness and i wish you to be happy even though another makes you so the lover or the husband who wishes the woman of his affection to form no second attachment is in my opinion a selfish contemptible being perhaps i do not expect that you will ever feel for another man an attachment like that which has subsisted between us the first affection of young and impassioned hearts but i am sure that you may again feel love enough to make yourself and the man of your choice perfectly happy and i hope and trust that you will be so and forget you i suppose interrupted adeline reproachfully not so i would have you remember me always but with a chastised and even pleasing sorrow nay i would wish you to imagine me a sort of guardian spirit watching your actions and enjoying your happiness i have listened to you cried adeline in a tone of suppressed anguish and i trust with tolerable patience there is one thing yet for me to learn the name of the object whom you wish me to marry for i suppose he is found he is returned glenmurray berrendale loves you and he it is whom i wish you to choose i thought so exclaimed adeline rising and traversing the room hastily and wringing her hands but wherefore does his name said glenmurray excite such angry emotions perhaps self-love makes me recommend him continued he forcing a smile as he is reckoned like me and i thought that likeness might make him more agreeable to you only the more odious impatiently interrupted adeline to look like you and not be you oh insupportable idea she exclaimed throwing herself on glenmurray's pillow and pressing his burning temples to her cold cheek adeline said glenmurray solemnly this is perhaps the last moment of confidential and uninterrupted intercourse that we shall ever have together adeline started but spoke not allow me therefore to tell you it is my dying request that you would endeavour to dispose your mind in favour of berrendale and to become in time his wife circumstanced as you are your only chance for happiness is becoming a wife but it is too certain that few men worthy of you in the most essential points will be likely to marry you after your connection with me strange prejudice cried adeline to consider as my disgrace what i deem my glory glenmurray continued thus berrendale himself has a great deal of the old school about him but i have convinced him that you are not to be classed with the frail of your sex and that you are one of the purest as well as loveliest of human beings and did he want to be convinced of this cried adeline indignantly and yet you advise me to marry him my dearest love replied glenmurray 
in all cases the most we can expect is to choose the best possible means of happiness berrendale is not perfect but i am convinced that you would commit a fatal error in not making him your husband and when i tell you it is my dying request you should do so if you wish me to retain my senses exclaimed adeline repeat that dreadful phrase no more i will not say any more at all now faintly observed glenmurray for i am exhausted still as morning begins to dawn i should like to sit up in my bed and gaze on it perhaps for here adeline put her hand to his mouth glenmurray kissed it sighed and did not finish the sentence she then opened the shutters to let in the rising splendor of day and turning round towards glenmurray almost shrieked with terror at seeing the visible alteration a night had made in his appearance while the yellow rays of dawn played on his sallow cheek and his dark curls once crisped and glossy hung faint and moist on his beating temples it is strange adeline said glenmurray but with great effort that even in my situation the sight of morning and the revival as it were of nature seems to invigorate my whole frame i long to breathe the freshness of its breeze also adeline conscious for the first time that all hope was over opened the window and felt even her sick soul and languid frame revived by the chill but refreshing breeze to glenmurray it imparted feeling of physical pleasure to which he had long been a stranger i breathe freely he exclaimed i feel alive again and strange as it may seem adeline's hopes began to revive also i feel as if i could sleep now said glenmurray the feverish restlessness seems abated but lest my dreams be disturbed promise me ere i lie down again that you will behave kindly to berrendale impossible the only tie that bound me to him is broken i thought he sincerely sympathized with me in my wishes for your recovery but now that as he loves me his wishes must be in direct opposition to mine i cannot indeed i cannot endure the sight of him glenmurray could not reply to this natural observation he knew that in a similar situation his feelings would have been like adeline's and pressing her hand with all the little strength left him he said poor berrendale and tried to compose himself to sleep while adeline lost in sad contemplation threw herself in a chair by his bedside and anxiously awaited the event of his reawakening but it was not long before adeline herself exhausted in both body and mind fell into a deep sleep and it was midday before she awoke for no careless heavy treading and hired nurse now watched the slumbers of the unhappy lovers but the mulatto stepping light as air and afraid even of breathing lest she should disturb their repose had assumed her station at the bedside and taken every precaution lest any noise should awake them hers was the service of the heart and there is none like it at twelve o'clock adeline awoke and her first glance met the dark eyes of savannah kindly fixed upon her adeline started not immediately recollecting who it could be but in a moment the idea of the mulatto and of the service which she had rendered her recurred to her mind and diffused a sensation of pleasure through her frame there is a being whom i have served said adeline to herself and extending her hand to savannah she started from her seat invigorated by the thought but she felt depressed again by the consciousness that she who had been able to impart so much joy and help to another was herself a wretch for ever 
and in a moment her eyes filled with tears while the mulatto gazed on her with a look of inquiring solicitude poor savanna cried adeline in a low and plaintive voice there are moments when the sound of one's own voice has a mournful effect on one's feelings this was one of those moments to adeline the pathos of her own tone overcame her and she burst into tears but glenmurray slept on and adeline hoped nothing would suddenly disturb his rest when berrendale opened the door with what appeared unnecessary noise and glenmurray hastily awoke adeline immediately started from her seat and looking at him with great indignation demanded why he came in in such a manner when he knew mr glenmurray was asleep berrendale shocked and alarmed at adeline's words and expressions so unlike her usual manner stammered out an excuse another time sir replied adeline coldly i hope you will be more careful what is the matter said glenmurray raising himself in the bed are you scolding adeline if so let me hear you i like novelty here adeline and berrendale both hastened to him and adeline almost looked with complacency on berrendale when glenmurray declaring himself wonderfully refreshed by his long sleep expressed a great desire for his breakfast and said he had a most voracious appetite but to all berrendale's attentions she returned the most forbidding reserve nor could she for a moment lose the painful idea that the death of glenmurray would be to him a source of joy not of anguish berrendale was not slow to observe this change in her conduct and he conceived that as he knew glenmurray had mentioned his pretensions to her his absence would be of more service to his wishes than his presence and he resolved to leave richmond that afternoon especially as he had a dinner engagement at a tavern in london which in spite of love and friendship he was desirous of keeping he was not mistaken in his ideas the countenance of adeline assumed less severity when he mentioned his intention of going away nor could she express regret at his resolution even though glenmurray with anxious earnestness requested him to stay but glenmurray entreated in vain used to consider his own interest and pleasure in preference to that of others berrendale resolved to go and resisted the prayers of a man who had often obliged him with the greatest difficulty to himself well then said glenmurray mournfully if you must go god bless you i wish you charles all possible earthly happiness nay i have done all i can to ensure it to you but you have disappointed me i hope to have joined your hand in my last moments to that of this dear girl and to have bequeathed her in the most solemn manner to your care and tenderness but no matter farewell we shall probably meet no more here berrendale's heart failed him and he almost resolved to stay but a look of angry repugnance which he saw on adeline's countenance even amidst her sorrow got the better of his kind emotions by wounding his self-love and grasping glenmurray's hand and saying i shall be back in a day or two he rushed out of the room i am sorry mr berrendale is forced to go said adeline involuntarily when the street door closed after him had you condescended to tell him so he would undoubtedly have stayed replied glenmurray rather peevishly adeline instantly felt and regretted the selfishness of her conduct to avoid the sight of a disagreeable object she had given pain to glenmurray or rather she had not done her utmost to prevent his being exposed to it forgive me said adeline bursting into tears i own i thought only of myself when i forbore to urge his stay 
alas with you and you alone i believe is the gratification of self always a secondary consideration you forget that i am a philanthropist replied glenmurray and cannot bear to be praised even by you at the expense of my fellow creatures but come hasten dinner my breakfast agreed with me so well that i am impatient for another meal you certainly are better to-day exclaimed adeline with unwonted cheerfulness my feelings are more tolerable at last replied glenmurray and adeline and the mulatto began to prepare the dinner immediately how often during her attendance on glenmurray had she recollected the words of her grandmother and blessed her for having taught her to be useful as soon as dinner was over glenmurray complained of being drowsy still he declared he would not go to bed till he had seen the sunset as he had that day for the second time since his illness seen it rise and therefore when it was sitting adeline and savannah led him into a room adjoining which had a western aspect glenmurray fixed his eyes on the crimson horizon with a peculiar expression and his lips seemed to murmur for the last time let me breathe the evening air too once more said he it is too chill dear glenmurray it will not hurt me replied glenmurray and adeline complied with his request the breeze of evening is not refreshing like that of morning he observed but the beauty of the setting is perhaps superior to that of the rising sun they are both glorious sights and i have enjoyed them both to-day nor have i for years experienced so strong a feeling of devotion thank god cried adeline o glenmurray there has been one thing only wanting to the completion of our union and that was that we should worship together perhaps had i remained longer here replied glenmurray we might have done so for believe me adeline though my feelings have continually hurried me into adoration of the supreme being i have often wished my homage to be as regular and as founded on immutable conviction as it once was but it is too late now for amendment though alas not for regret deep regret yet he who reads the heart knows that my intentions were pure and that i was not fixed in the stubbornness of error let us change this discourse cried adeline seeing on glenmurray's countenance an expression of uncommon sadness which he from a regard for her feelings struggled to cover he did indeed feel sadness a sadness of the most painful nature and while adeline hung over him with all the anxious and soothing attention of unbounded love he seemed to shrink from her embrace with horror and turning away his head feebly murmured o oh, adeline this faithful kindness wounds me to the very soul alas alas how little have i deserved it if glenmurray who had been the means of injuring the woman he loved merely by following the dictates of his conscience and the love of what he imagined to be truth without any view to his own benefit or the gratification of his personal wishes felt thus acutely the anguish of self-upbraiding what ought to be and what must be sooner or later the agony and remorse of that man who merely for the gratification of his own illicit desires has seduced the woman whom he loved from the path of virtue and ruined for ever her reputation and her peace of mind it is too late now for you to sit at an open window indeed it is cried adeline after having replied to glenmurray's self-reproaches by the touching language of tears and incoherent expressions of confiding and unchanged attachment 
and as you are evidently better to-day do not by breathing too much cold air run the risk of making yourself worse again would i really better would i could live passionately exclaimed glenmurray but indeed i do feel stronger to-night than i have felt for many months in a moment the fine eyes of adeline were raised to heaven with an expression of devout thankfulness and eager to make the most of a change so favorable she hurried glenmurray back to his chamber and with a feeling of renewed hope sat by to watch his slumbers she had not sat long before the door opened and the little tawny boy entered he had watched all day to see the good lady as he called adeline but as she had not left glenmurray's chamber except to prepare dinner he had been disappointed so he was resolved to seek her in her own apartment he had bought some cakes with the penny which adeline had given him and he was eager to give her a piece of them hush cried adeline as she held out her hand to him and in a whisper crying bite held his purchase to her lips adeline tasted it said it was very good and giving him a half penny the tawny boy disappeared again the noise he made as he bounded down the stairs woke glenmurray adeline was sitting on the side of the bed and as he turned round to sleep again he grasped her hand in his and its feverish touch dampened her hopes and reawakened her fears for a short time she mournfully gazed on his flushed cheek and then gently sliding off the bed and dropping on one knee she addressed the deity of the language of humble supplication insensibly she ceased to pray in thought only and the lowly murmured prayer became audible again glenmurray awoke and adeline reproached herself as the cause my rest was uneasy cried he and i rejoiced that you woke me besides i like to hear you go on my dearest girl there is something in the breathings of your pious fondness that soothes me added he pressing the hand he held to his parched lips adeline obeyed and as she continued she felt ever and anon by the pressure of glenmurray's hand how much he was affected by what she uttered but must he be taken from me she exclaimed in one part of her prayer father if it be possible permit this cup to pass by me untasted here she felt the hand of glenmurray grasp hers most vehemently and delighted to think that he had pleasure in hearing her she went on to breathe forth all the wishes of a trembling yet confiding spirit till overcome with her own emotions she ceased and arose and leaning over glenmurray's pillow was going to take his hand but the hand which she had pressed returned not her pressure the eyes were fixed whose approving glance she sought and the horrid truth rushed at once on her mind that the last convulsive grasp had been an eternal farewell and that he had in that grasp expired alas what preparation however long what anticipation however sure can enable the mind to bear a shock like this it came on adeline like a thunderstroke she screamed not she moved not but fixing a dim and glassy eye on the pale countenance of her lover she seemed as insensible as poor glenmurray himself and hours might have elapsed hours immediately fatal both to her senses and existence ere any one had entered the room since she had given orders to be disturbed by no one had not the tawny boy encouraged her by his past success stolen in again unperceived to give her a piece of the apple which he had bought with her last bounty the delighted boy tripped gaily to the bedside holding up his treasure but he started back and screamed 
and all the agony of terror at the sight which he beheld the face of glenmurray ghastly and the mouth distorted as if in the last agony and adeline in the stupor of despair the affectionate boy's repeated screams soon summoned the whole family into the room while he vainly hanging on adeline's arm begged her to speak to him but nothing could at first arouse adeline not even savanna's loud and extravagant grief when however they tried to force her from the body she recovered her recollection and her strength and it was with great difficulty she could be carried out of the room and kept out when they had accomplished their purpose but savanna was sure that looking at a such a sad sight would kill her mistress for she should die herself if she saw william dead she declared and the people of the house agreed with her they knew not that grief is the best medicine for itself and that the overcharged heart is often relieved by the sight which standers-by conceive likely to snap the very threads of existence as adeline and glenmurray had both of them excited some interest in richmond the news of the death of the latter was immediately abroad and it was told to mrs pemberton with a pathetic account of adeline's distress just as the carriage was preparing to convey her and her sick friend on their way to lisbon it was a relation to call forth all the humanity of mrs pemberton's nature she forgot adeline's crime in her distress and knowing she had no female friend with her she hastened on the errand of pity to the abode of vice alas mrs pemberton had learned but too well to sympathize in grief like that of adeline she had seen a beloved husband expire in her arms and had afterwards followed two children to the grave but she had taken refuge from sorrow in the active duties of her religion and in becoming a teacher of those truths to others by which she had so much benefited herself mrs pemberton entered the room just as adeline on her knees was conjuring the persons with her to allow her to see glenmurray once more adeline did not at all observe the entrance of mrs pemberton who in spite of the self-command which her principles and habits gave her was visibly affected when she beheld the mourner's tearless affliction and the hands which on her entrance were quietly crossed on each other confining the modest folds of her simple cloak were suddenly and involuntarily separated by the irresistible impulse of pity while catching hold of the wall for support she leaned against it covering her face with her hands let me see him only let me see him once more cried adeline gazing on mrs pemberton but unconscious who she was thou shalt see him replied mrs pemberton with considerable effort give me thy hand and i will go with thee to the chamber of death adeline gave a scream of mournful joy at this permission and suffered herself to be led into glenmurray's apartment as soon as she entered it she sprang to the bed and throwing herself beside the corpse began to contemplate it with an earnestness and firmness which surprised every one mrs pemberton also fixedly gazed on the wan face of glenmurray and art thou fallen she exclaimed thou wise in thine own conceit who presumeth perhaps sometimes to question even the existence of the most high and to set up thy vain chimeras of yesterday against the wisdom and experience of centuries child of the dust child of error what art thou now and whither is thy guilty spirit fled but balmy is the hand of affliction and she thy mourning victim may learn to bless the hand that chastises her nor add to the offences 
which will weigh down thy soul a dread responsibility for hers here she was interrupted by the voice of adeline who in a deep and hollowed tone was addressing the unconscious corpse for god's sake speak for this silence is dreadful it looks so like death poor thing said mrs pemberton kneeling beside her and is it even thus with thee would thou couldst shed tears afflicted one it is very strange continued adeline he loved me so tenderly and he used to speak and look so tenderly and now see how he neglects me glenmurray my love for mercy's sake speak to me as she said this she laid her lips to his but feeling on them the icy coldness of death she started back screaming in all the violence of frenzy and recovered to the full consciousness of her misfortune she was carried back to her room in violent convulsions would i could stay and watch over thee said mrs pemberton as she gazed on adeline's distorted countenance for thou young as thou art wert well known in the chambers of sorrow and of sickness and i should rejoice to pay back thee part of the debt of those whom thy presence so often soothed but i must leave thee to the care of others you leave her to my care cried savannah reproachfully who felt even her violent sorrow suspended while mrs pemberton spoke in accents at once sad yet soothing you leave her to my care and who watch who love her more than me good savannah replied mrs pemberton pressing the mulatto's hand as she returned to her station beside adeline who was fallen into a calm slumber to thy care with confidence i commit her but perhaps there may be an immediate necessity for money and i had better leave this with thee she added taking out her purse but savannah assured her that mr berrendale was sent for and to him all those concerns were to be left mrs pemberton stood for a few moments looking at adeline in silence then slowly left the house when adeline awoke she seemed so calm and resigned that her earnest request of being allowed to pass the night alone was granted especially as mrs pemberton had desired that her wish even to see glenmurray again should be complied with but the faithful mulatto watched till morning at the door no bed that night received the weary limbs of adeline she threw herself on the ground and in alternate prayer and frenzy passed the first night of her woe towards morning however she fell into a perturbed sleep but when the light of day darting into the room awakened her to consciousness and when she recollected that he to whom it usually summoned her existed no longer that the eyes which but preceding morning had opened with enthusiastic ardor to hail its beams were now forever closed and that the voice which used to welcome her so tenderly she should never never hear again the forlornness of her situation the hopelessness of her sorrow burst upon her with a violence too powerful for her reason and when berrendale arrived he found glenmurray in his shroud and adeline in a state of insanity for six months her frenzy resisted all the efforts of medicine and the united care which berrendale's love and savannah's grateful attachment could bestow while with adeline's want of their care seemed to increase their desire of bestowing it and their affection gathered new strength from the duration of her helpless malady so true is it that we become attached more from the aid which we give than that which we receive and that the love of the obliger is more apt to increase than that of the obliged by the obligation conferred at length however 
adeline's reason slowly yet surely returned and she by degree learnt to contemplate with firmness and even calmness the loss which she had sustained she even looked on berrendale with his attentions not with anger but gratitude and complacency she had even pleasure in observing the likeness he bore to glenmurray she felt that it endeared him to her in the first paroxysms of her frenzy the sight of him threw her into fits of raving but as she grew better she had pleasure in seeing him and when on her recovery she heard how much she was indebted to his persevering tenderness she felt for him a decided regard which berrendale tried to flatter himself might be ripened into love but he was mistaken the heart of adeline was formed to feel violent and lasting attachments only she had always loved her mother with a tenderness of a most uncommon nature she had felt for glenmurray the fondest enthusiasm of passion she was now separated from them both but her mother still lived and though almost hopeless of ever being restored to her society all her love for her returned and she pined for that consoling fondness those soothing attentions which in a time of such affliction a mother on a widowed daughter can only bestow yet surely cried she in the solitude of her own room her oath cannot forbid her to forgive me for i am not as wretched in love nay more far more so than she has been yes yes i will write to her besides he wished me to do so meaning glenmurray whom she never named and she did write to her according to the address which dr norbury sent soon after he returned to his own house still week after week elapsed and month after month but no answer came again she wrote and again she was disappointed though her loss her illness in consequence of it her pecuniary distress and the large debt which she had incurred to berrendale were all detailed in a manner calculated to move the most obdurate heart what then could adeline suppose perhaps her mother was ill perhaps she was dead and her reason was again on the point of yielding to this horrible supposition when she received her two letters in a cover directed in her mother's handwriting at first she was overwhelmed by this dreadful proof of the continuance of mrs mowbray's deep resentment but ever sanguine the circumstance of mrs mowbray's having written the address herself appeared to adeline a favorable symptom and with renewed hope she wrote to dr norbury to become her mediator once more but to this letter no answer was returned and adeline concluded her only friend had died of the fever which mrs norbury had mentioned in her letter then i have lost my only friend cried adeline wringing her hands in agony as this idea recurred to her your only friend repeated berrendale who happened to be present oh adeline her heart smote her as he said this my oldest friend i should have said she replied holding out her hand to him and berrendale thought himself supremely happy but adeline was far from meaning to give the encouragement which this action seemed to bestow wholly occupied by her affliction her mind had lost its energy and she would not have made an effort to dissipate her grief by employment and exertion had not that virtuous pride and delicacy which in happier hours had been the ornament of her character rebelled against the consciousness of owning pecuniary obligations to the lover whose suit she was determined to reject and urged her to make some vigorous attempts to maintain herself many were the schemes which occurred to her 
but none seemed so practicable as that of keeping a day-school in some village near the metropolis true glenmurray had said that her having been his mistress would prevent her obtaining scholars but his fears perhaps were stronger than his justice in this case these fears however she found existed in berrendale's mind also though he ventured only to hint them with great caution you think then no prudent parents if my story should be known to them would send their children to me said adeline to berrendale i fear i that is to say i am sure they would not under such circumstances said adeline you yourself would not send a child to my school why really i as the world goes replied berrendale i am answered said adeline with a look and tone of displeasure and retired to her chamber intending not to return till berrendale was gone to his own lodging but her heart soon reproached her with unjust resentment and coming back she apologized to berrendale for being angry at his laudable resolution of acting according to those principles which he thought most virtuous especially as she claimed for herself a similar right berrendale gratified by her apology replied that he saw no objection to her plan if she chose to deny him the happiness of sharing his income with her provided she would settle in a village where she was not likely to be known and change her name change my name never concealment of any kind almost always implies the consciousness of guilt and while my heart does not condemn me my conduct shall seem to accuse me i will go to whatever place you shall recommend but i beg your other request may be mentioned no more berrendale glad to be forgiven on any terms promised to comply with her wishes and he having recommended to her to settle at a village some few miles north of london adeline hired there a small but commodious lodging and issued immediately cards of advertisement stating that she meant to teach and on what terms while berrendale took lodgings within a mile of her and the faithful mulatto attended her as a servant of all work fortunately at this time a lady at richmond who had a son the age of the tawny boy became so attached to him that she was desirous of bringing him up to be the playfellow and future attendant on her son and the mulatto pleased to have him so well disposed of resisted the poor little boy's tears and reluctance at the idea of being separated from her and adeline and before she left richmond she had the satisfaction of seeing him comfortably settled in the house of his patroness adeline succeeded in her undertaking even beyond her utmost wishes though unknown and unrecommended there was in her countenance and manner a something so engaging so strongly inviting confidence and so decisively bespeaking the gentlewoman that she soon excited in the village general respect and attention and no sooner were scholars entrusted to her care than she became the idol of her pupils and their improvement was rapid in proportion to the love which they bore her this fortunate circumstance proved a balm to the wounded mind of adeline she felt that she had recovered her usefulness that desideratum in morals and life spite of her misfortunes acquired a charm in her eyes true it was that she was restored to her capability of being useful but being where she was unknown and because a mulatto unknown to her had described her as reduced to earn her living on account of the death of the man to whom she was about to be married but she did not revert to the reasons of her being so generally esteemed she contented herself 
with the consciousness of being so and for some months she was tranquil though not happy but her tranquillity was destined to be of short duration end of chapter eighteen part two recording by pam Moscato.